0: The gig pod. I think all the concerns that we have obviously being that middle tier are very valid considering just how much we benefited from playing teams of a higher caliber going into our qualifiers. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app. Now OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave magnificent moves. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World
1: Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. Our performances just lacked that intensity.
0: I've generally struggled with the pressure of the performance rankings, but Adrian, this is your first time in the hot seat. So what are you going with? In the red.
1: Go easy. I mean, I think go easy on me over the next while. I'm, a, I'm a debutante here. Um, yeah, I, we were sort of <laughs> we were discussing this over back a little bit yesterday evening as to who would fit into which exact shade. I mean, it was grand up until about nine o'clock last night when um, the football world exploded with the news about Ronaldo, and that's where we're going to kick things off. Um, and uh, Ronaldo does Pierce Morgan is the short story. The interview is going out. I think Wednesday or Thursday on what's it called? Talk TV. Talk TV. Never known like uh, the everybody knows about Piers Morgan what's it called uninterrupted whatever it is and then like nobody's ever heard of the channel Is talk TV
0: the same thing as GB News or is it a different station completely I'm told a different station completely
1: okay OK. Um, so, yeah, he's he's done this explosive interview. It's crossed a lot of the back pages and some of the front pages even this morning. It's that explosive um, is Ronaldo's interview with Piers Morgan. Um, it kind of feels like his Roy Keane MUTV moment and that he may never play for the club again would be my suspicion. So we do appreciate that. You know, you might have not the, got the ins and outs of the exact details of this interview just yet. So we have a couple of clips to bring you. This is Ronaldo in conversation with Piers Morgan with two clips. First one is he's been betrayed by Manchester United. They're trying to force you out. Yes,
2: not only the coach, but the other two or three guys there around
1: the club. At the uh, senior executive level?
2: Yes, that I felt betrayed. And uh, you think they're trying to get rid of you? Honestly, I shouldn't say that, I don't know. But listen, I, I don't care. I'm always, people should listen to the truth. Yes, I feel betrayed. And I felt that some people that don't want me here. Not only this year, but last year too. I don't know what's going on, but since since the um, Sir Alex Ferguson left, I saw no evolution in the club. The progress was zero. For example, you have an interesting point that how the club, as Manchester United, after suck um, Ole, mm. they buy, they bring Sport directive, Ralph Regnick, which is something that nobody understands. This guy is not even a coach. A bigger club like Manchester United bring sport directive. Surprise, not only me, but all the world. You know, nothing changed. Surprisingly, not only the pool, the jacuzzi, even the gym, even some points of technology, the kitchen, the chefs, <laughs> which is I appreciate, lovely, lovely persons. They stop in a in a time which is is. It surprised me a lot. I thought I will see different things, different, as I mentioned before, technology, infrastructure, but unfortunately, we see many things that I'm used to see when I was 20, 21, 23, so surprised me a lot.
1: Yeah, this is Ronaldo lashing out. There's an Alan Partridge quality to that, by the way, that I hadn't fully picked Listen, up on. A, a travelodge style. Jacuzzi
2: you know.
0: technology has moved on massively <laughs> over the past 10 years. And if Manchester United aren't keeping up with that...
1: Do you think there was a comment there somewhere? I mean, I he was notice. about to go to the town on the chef. Chef, I oh. In
0: fairness, there was a, 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 wooden, a little glimmer of self-awareness there where he thought, ooh, if I, if I personalise this against the chef, there's definitely going to be a backlash.
1: thing is, he had never eaten in that canteen again, either way. Is he? Like, that's it. That's him done now, as far as I'm concerned. This is his Roy Keane MUTV moment. He's hit the nuclear button, which is Piers Morgan in this instance. And obviously he wasn't in the uh, squad over the weekend. He wasn't in the team over the weekend. They'd listed illness yesterday as a reason that he wasn't going to be in there. And it's one of those loose terminologies that everybody kind of suspected. The main thought was that he'd wrestle himself for the World Cup. Maybe that was also true. But,
0: well, when um, was this interview recorded? We need to find out. Because it, if this was recorded in the middle of last week...
1: Well, Morgan was tweeting about it yesterday afternoon, saying, uh, "International news desks, you need to be at the ready from 10 o'clock tonight, or whatever it was. that started to release the teasers that uh, you're going to be busy. So, whether they'd been, whether they had recorded during the week, and he was sitting on it for that period of time, who knows?
0: Is anything he said there
1: wrong?" I think there's two sides to it. I think the betrayal is absolute claptrap in the sense that, like, you know, he's given out about the coach, some executives within the club. Of course, they're trying to get rid of him. He, they view him as no longer somebody who's offering something to the club. Well, so, so it's within their remit for a player who's earning an absolute fortune to be able to say, this is no longer an asset for us. We're spending too much money. We would like to get rid of you. So I think that the idea that he should be sort of lauded as he walks in the door and you know bow down in front of Ronaldo as he comes into work every day is just ridiculous because Ronaldo 2022 is not the player uh, in physicality that he thinks he is in his head.
0: But even that clip, I really want to see the full interview if Piers Morgan delves deeper, which I suspect he won't. I suspect this is going to be the most uh, sycophantic interview we've ever seen. The very fact he sat with Piers Morgan. Mm. Cristiano Ronaldo knew what he was going to get. But... He's talking about last season, certain individuals wanting rid. Like Cristiano Ronaldo handed in a transfer request in the summer. He was desperate to leave the club. Uh, you assume not because of the individuals in the background, but because he knew everything he's just outlined, that the club was going nowhere fast. Mm. Uh, wasn't impressed with Ralf Rangnick, as I think is completely acceptable uh, that he's come back and you know what, what, it, what was Ralf Rangnick? Uh, probably the greatest waste of money Manchester United have ever spent, maybe with the exception of Cristiano Ronaldo, over the past 18 months. But I think a lot of Manchester United supporters will listen to that and go, yeah, Cristiano is one of the greatest players of all time who has set unbelievably high standards for himself, who in the 10 years since Manchester United last won a league has won four Champions League, has won countless league titles, has won five Ballon d'Ors and he's saying what we do isn't on a par with Real Madrid or Juventus or the best clubs in world football and that's because of the Glazers and unnamed executives. So calling that out, he's dead right to call that out.
1: Yeah, I think that's. I think there are two sides. to it I think on the "I've been betrayed" bit, I think that's nonsense. And I was listening to Talksport in the wind. But unless he was betrayed, unless he was betrayed, unless when he he came back
0: to the club, he was told, "We're going to put a massive investment in. We're going to build a team around you. And over the next two or three years, we're going to get back in the Champions League. We're going to challenge for that. We're going to challenge for titles. And then six months later, Ralph Ragnick is his manager."
1: But to borrow a phrase, new information came to light, man. Like you weren't. We thought you were this guy, and it turns out you're not. You're not. He was their top scorer last season. I know he was. And like, look. You know, we talked to Daniel Harris a little bit later on. Maybe you think I was watching match today last night, and Jermaine Defoe was making the point that like uh, they're they're goal shy and shot shy and whatever other phrase you want to use in front of goal. And maybe if he was in the team yesterday, they would have been slightly better. But we've been saying that now for a couple of years. Maybe if Ronaldo was in the team, they would have done a bit better. And then when he's there, you know, he just there's no work rate about him. And of course, he gets a few goals. You just. He I has more
0: goals than anybody else. I know. Sean Giles would say here every Thursday evening. What more do you want from him? I know. What more do you want from him? A bit of work. Actually, I think a bit of work. I, I, I and I I thought last season he didn't fit into the system, but when I've seen him play this season, he's generally putting in the effort. Yeah, he can't do what he did five years ago, ten years ago. But on the pitch when he's been in the mood, I think he still has a he's still good enough for a place in this Manchester United squad.
1: He says he's been betrayed. His version, of, his virgin, virgin version. It's Monday morning. Of being betrayed is everybody else's. He's just not up to it, and I think that he's too blind to see that from his from his position at the minute. And also the idea that you know uh, he's been betrayed partly because you know he wasn't allowed to leave the club. Is that the insinuation that he couldn't get out of it? But then you had Roy Keane saying that you know that the club were blocking his path to get out of there um, in the in the not that distant past. So I, well, what, what, bit, I what does Roy Keane say with. about
0: this? This obviously was timed for the end of the Premier League first part of the Premier League season so he doesn't have to go back into Manchester United but it also means yeah. that we're unlikely to get the full Gary Neville Roy Keane reaction uh, tonight or over the coming days though I'm, I'm sure we'll hear from a lot of those former Manchester United players but Keane has been a staunch defender of Cristiano Ronaldo just say, uh, you say know, there are similarities between the way Keane exited the club and the way he questioned people I, I think Keane's was more of the players more so than it seems to be the structure that Cristiano Ronaldo is having a go at but like, this is unacceptable like Wayne Rooney was very honest on TalkSport last week saying like there's no way in hell Roy Keane would have stood for a player mm. speaking like this uh, the best bit which they haven't released a clip of but uh, I'd imagine is going to go viral is his criticism of Wayne Rooney so I think everyone was quite impressed with Wayne Rooney that he didn't take the usual yeah. former player line of going oh he's one of the greatest players who've ever played the game and you know, you got to respect his opinion. Uh, said he was completely out of line. That you know, you can't can't do what he did and can't refuse to come on. Uh, Ronaldo said, "I don't know why he criticizes me so badly. Probably because he finished his career and I'm still playing at a high level." Then, with a smirk, Ronaldo added, "I'm not going to say that I'm looking better than him, which is true."
1: He's just so vain, like isn't he? Like well, he actually can't this, help himself. Is, like that's
0: hardly breaking news that Cristiano Ronaldo is vain.
1: I know, but like, I mean, Jesus, just give it a break for a minute while you're, while you're here, right? He's chosen to do this interview. And what is he actually expecting to get out of it is the other thing. Like, is he expecting that the great United fan base are sort of suddenly, you know, motivated to the point that there are, you know, they ditch their Glazers out protests in favor of Ronaldo in or is he, is he thinking about, I mean, basically look at, maybe he's trying to force a way out of the club. And in that regard, he probably has in that, like, he ain't ever going back. And there's nobody that can make a case for that now. Even the most staunch, I think, Ronaldo fans. It's done now.
0: Well, it is, but they may well be in a similar position to last summer where Cristiano Ronaldo wanted to leave. Manchester United wanted him to leave, but they couldn't find a club to take him because nobody could afford his wages or the clubs that he wanted to go to felt that he didn't fit their system. So perhaps now he has something lined up post-World Cup. But I wonder what his target audience is here. So anybody who watches the Premier League or understands English football will look at this and think, Cristiano Ronaldo... As you say, hasn't been making the impact that he was five, ten years ago. He's no longer the best player in the world. But Cristiano Ronaldo is arguably bigger than Manchester United in large parts of the world for people who take a passing interest in football. And if we woke up this morning and Tom Brady had done this interview about Tampa Bay, from afar I'd be going, well, Tampa Bay is obviously an absolute shambles. Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback who's ever lived. How's he having to put up with this? The chef. The chef is no good. Why aren't they listening to him? They're going to have to absolutely change everything. Whereas if you're following NFL day to day, you may realise, well, actually, Tom Brady's not the player he once was. And Tampa Bay. Yeah, everything's not perfect. And there's obviously a comparison there with the Glazers as well. I don't know. But I I think there's a wider audience for Cristiano Ronaldo that he's talking to rather than the hardcore Manchester United fan, who you'd have to assume are somewhat alienated by this even if he is making a lot of valid points but Ronaldo's a worldwide superstar and I think an awful lot of those people who are more interested in Cristiano Ronaldo than Manchester United will go
1: yeah it's probably right yeah I think for those people who basically what you're saying is they don't have the full picture right save it for your book wait 10 years time set your scores then
0: this is the new book ah, a two minute viral clip
1: I'm i have think, a look and see how
0: many views when I was going I could barely sleep last night I wanted to see was there more to come <laughs>
1: I think um, the uh, look. At, I think the reality is that this guy, right? He's got, he's out the door. The, the, the point about the no evolution of the club is spot on. Seven point
0: right? eight million views. Yeah, that's better than writing any book.
1: The 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 point about the no evolution of the club is spot on. The Ranik stuff. Uh, suddenly we've got maybe a better insight into why the club has been going backwards over the last number of years. If what he's saying is true. But my conclusion out of all of that is, here's Ronaldo, one of the best players. In his mind, and now in Piers Morgan's mind, as opposed to when he previously thought Messi was the best player, in his mind and in Piers Morgan's mind, he's the best player to have ever played the game, right? So he walks in the door there a couple of years ago, and he's looking around him going, Chef, you're still making, like, potato waffles and whatever else it is, and you just end up to it, and the jacuzzi technology is not right, and who is this auditor? I've never heard it before, and what's he doing? Why didn't he stand up and go, lads, here, I've been to Juventus, and I've been to Real Madrid over the last ten years, They do things a bit differently here. I have a few ideas it sounds like but he has it sounds I like he know. has
0: done that do you think Ronaldo's sitting there in the dressing room bitching and moaning it no chance Ronaldo like, is in day one what, what, going
1: what, would, what the hell is going on here what would look it I'm surprised to hear that the jacuzzi technology is not what it, was, what it should have been right or that the the stat stuff wasn't as good as it was or the fitness stuff or the diets or the menus that, you're not surprised that, so you're I not I surprised am, to hear that I everybody
0: am. knows that that's the problem with Manchester United But you look at the stadium the stadium is falling apart because the Glazers haven't invested in it so there's no investment investment on the pitch there hasn't been well there's been investment on the pitch but there's been little or no investment off the pitch uh, and that you would i'm not shocked at all to hear that extends to not having the latest cutting-edge technology at the training ground on
1: the basis of that money is clearly not an issue i am surprised to hear that i have to say that they couldn't have done they couldn't have done some work in that regard they have all the money in the world it's the most blindly obvious thing in the world if you can see what's happening in the background that they wouldn't have done something about that that to me is a bit bizarre. I would love to know, and I'm sure Piers has asked her the question. It was a deep sort of interview, as you say. Where it was like cutting edge, uncomfortable questioning, I'm sure, at times. Uh, I'm sure he said to him, did you say this to them when you were there? I'm, I would be shocked if he did.
0: I don't know. I, uh, I'll obviously sit and watch the full interview. I am reminded of uh, Eamon Dunphy talking about Garth Crooks and Sven-Gorn Eriksson. And I would fear that compared to Garth Crooks and Sven-Gorn Eriksson, this would be more like a little peck in the cheek yeah. from Piers Morgan to Cristiano
1: Ronaldo. Yeah, There's no question about it. But like, look, the the conclusion out of this obviously is that he... Uh, wasn't going anywhere, anywhere uh, fast. I, uh, by the way, I also think all of this reflects really well on Ten Hag. Like this was Ten a- Hag made him captain a week ago. I know, but the poison that this guy has become, right? He the stuff after the Tottenham game where he walks off. Even after all of that, Ten Hag brings him back under the fold, knowing that you know there's a personality issue there, if you want to word it that way. Ronaldo wants out. He thinks he's better in the club. He thinks he's better than Ten Hag. Basically, thinks he's better than everybody else around him. He hasn't criticised any of his teammates, but you can be damn sure maybe he doesn't. In the interview. You can be damn sure that he thinks. He's he's better than everybody else in the team. That's the older underlying point of this entire interview is I'm better than Rashford and I'm better than Martial and I'm better than all these other schleps. Why am I in the team? That's a total disrespect to his teammates as well. None of this reflects well on, on Ronaldo. I do think it reflects well on Ten Hag. I do think that it's the conclusion of uh, Mark Ronaldo Mark II at United. He knows that he's not going to be playing there obviously until uh, the very early of Stephens' day anyway. And that's now done. That's cooked He's gone, as you say, he's gone off to the World Cup. He generally has tended to raise, his, manage to be able to raise his game a bit more for uh, Portugal over the last couple of years. Maybe he ends up having a good tournament. Maybe, as you say, he's got something else uh, lined up. But uh, I do think the timing of this thing is weird. I think the cozying up to Piers Morgan is bizarre in the absolute extreme. None of these
0: things are bizarre or weird. Well, he's, it's, it it's, all it's, fits be- the it's, pattern. It's
1: not like he's been... The two of them have been grooming each other over the last couple of years. Like, Piers Morgan's on Talksport every other week saying, well, I've been talking to Ronaldo, and he tells me he's not happy. Now, Ronaldo hears that, and he's still in contact with this guy. It's a slightly bizarre using-each-other um, dynamic, and I just that part I don't fully understand, I have to say, like that he chooses uh, that, that path. Maybe, you hinted earlier on, he's got a club lined up, and he's hit the nuclear button because he knows everything is sorted in December anyway, and that's it done. Bizarre. I think we
0: have another clip of Ronaldo. Uh, so they've only released we don't we don't have another clip of uh, Ronaldo. No. Okay.
1: That's all you need to hear from now, Nathan. There's more stuff to come. There's
0: more, I, I'm sure there's good. well I'm wondering is there going to be that drip feed? Uh, was is that all the good stuff?
1: I you'd expect it's the juiciest stuff, but like that's the stuff that makes a lot of the front pages this morning. There's probably loads of stuff as a football fan that you'll be able to get your teeth into afterwards. But I like it obviously I don't think there's um, any case for him to stay on here. I actually think that Roy Keane also hasn't helped Ronaldo <clears throat> with his endorsing of him um, walking out after the Tottenham game. I ultimately think that he needed somebody who he clearly Ronaldo clearly respects to say at that point, listen, this wasn't right, he shouldn't have done that, he needs to get back in the fold, be a team player, which Ronaldo clearly at this stage of his career, at any stage of his career, let's face it, is not.
0: Does anybody in Ronaldo's position have that person?
1: I don't think so. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, there's lots more stuff in there about his personal life, which was obviously um, tough going from over the last year, but I think that gives you the greater sense of what's going on. So he is firmly in the red. A little less red, but uh, quite red this morning, is Ranty Razzy Erasmus, and he's been at it again. Uh, South Africa gave him a beating again, and Razzy Erasmus has taken to Twitter to, um, after the loss to France over the weekend... Whatever his game is again here, you sort of begin to wonder about people's motives and what the hell is he playing at. You get a bit of a sense when I'm not going to read you the tweets show you the clips. But he's been giving out about some stuff that happened. Forearm challenging one of his players in one of the tweets. A forward pass, that wasn't a forward pass, he says, in another one. And on and on it goes. It's more the stuff that you saw last week uh, and the week before. And then the summer before that. It's just another. Um, Staging post for Razi Erasmus, and so who is the target audience for this stuff? Is it that he's going to take some of the heat off his players because people aren't talking about the shortcomings of his team now? Is it trying to reassure his players? Is the definitely the school of thought that I subscribe to that? Listen, lads, we've just marginally come out on the wrong side here, but it's not us. We got to keep to the plan. It's the referees' fault, and it'll all come right come the World Cup. That's my school of thought, that that's who he's actually speaking to here. Is he trying to put minds in the doubt of referee, uh, doubt in the minds of referees to say, um, you know, think twice the next time you're about to make a decision against my team? Or is he just giving himself and the rest of his South, South African coaching ticket a bit of a break? He's saying, listen, it's not our fault. It's not our fault. Referee decisions are going against us. Um, so, yeah, or is it the South African fans at home? I don't know. Whatever it is, he is beginning to, he's well on the road, I think, and looking at some of the reaction online yesterday from some respected sources, he's losing um, the respect of the international rugby audience. If you, your terminology about um, Ronaldo, the greater rugby audience who aren't as au fait with the specific details of all of this as Erasmus is, I think, um, He's starting to lose that respect, and where the hell does he go from here? Like they play Italy next week, they'll probably beat Italy. I know Italy had a big win over the weekend against Australia, but they'll play them on Saturday. What happens after that? Like, let's say they do win, is he back on Twitter, like making a few more points? Where does it all end? It's Jose Mourinho Nathan. I think it was the expression you used when you were sat in the seat mm. last week, and um, he's just sure to hopping into the laundry basket.
0: Yeah, I, I think the point about the referees and influencing influence of the referees, it feels like it's gone way past that now. Mm. Because when it happens once and the coach of the world champions has a real personal go to referee, you, you, you would wonder what impact that would have on that individual. But now it's every week, to the extent that surely all of the referees are thinking, this guy, I'm sick of him. So rather than giving the decisions, uh, human nature would be to rail against them, to go... Actually, why, why? Why would we bother? Like, do you think the referees this weekend are going? Oh no! I can't believe Razzie's had a go with us. Like, he has a go every single week. Mm. So uh, I can't see it having any positive impact for South Africa. And I do wonder what the South African players think about this. Like, they, they are the world champions. They should be above this. Like, they should still uh, while they're preparing for next year be going around like the big dogs. Like mm. not not getting into petty little squabbles like this. And maybe it is genius from Razzie Erasmus and it's a pure distraction technique and again you're talking about that rather than the defeat and he's doing all sorts of work behind the scenes and they're trying to build towards next year and he's just trying to take the glare off the players. But I just think being a world champion brings you to another level where you have such automatic respect from everybody. You just fall back that constantly, whereas now it's like they're a bit of a laughing stock. Like, mm. like people are making a joke out of this every week. Is that what you want to be when you're one of the best rugby players in the world? That's what your coach is 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 turning the rest of the world against you.
1: Well, to continue the uh, Alan Partridge line of thought, he'll uh, he'll have the last laugh. Is I think what this is what he's getting at here. I think. Um Everybody wants consistency from referees, right? There's going to be every single game that's ever been played, There's somebody's got a gripe about the referee somewhere along the line. And he's obviously feeling really put out by this entire thing. And uh, I also feel that it slightly under, under uh, undermines uh, Jacques Nienabar. Like, what's his thought on all of this? He's actually the head coach of this thing. And here's your man, like, who's his boss, director of rugby, who's out on Twitter every other week. I mean, that's not helpful, is it?
0: What well, what does Jacques Nienabar do? Like... Is it?
1: Well he's the man, I mean, role Yeah, no, I think he I think he is the man. Uh, he's obviously not got the celebrity profile of his boss, ultimately. But um you know Jack
0: wouldn't be asked on to strictly come dancing, but Razzie might be.
1: <laughs> I don't think either enough South African Strictly, is that what you're talking about? Yeah,
0: quite possibly if there is a South African strictly. Um, Tony Adams went from Strictly last night.
1: Oh did he? Very good dancer. Is he?
0: He kinda came in the first week and he thought he was gonna be the joke contestant. Yeah. No, some serious moves. Right. He Are got you? injured. I the headline know. was Adams out of Strictly after injury.
1: Is that what happened to him last night, or was he? No, he was. He was oh, injured. He, he was in on. the
0: dance off, but he was injured, so he had to step aside.
1: Are you, I wouldn't have had you as a Strictly man, Nathan. That's no,
0: very, very popular in my you house. So I'm a celeb man. I've watched bits of it. It's just, it's just on so often. Mm. And also, the World Cup is coming up.
1: I know. So you can't get too invested. You can't,
0: can't fully commit. I, like, it, it's, it's a very difficult watch. You're watching Matt Hancock and going like, this guy is responsible for the death of thousands of people and they're all having a joke and he sort of gives a half-hearted apology. I'm
1: just looking for forgiveness. Like, piss off. I think he's actually coming off quite well out of it. But that, that in
0: itself isn't right. Mike
1: Tindall is the man. That's, that's, that's the I,
0: I only saw one bit where one of them asked Mike Tindall uh, what his wife did.
1: Ah, you're joking me. Well, they're probably not in there for their intellect.
0: I, I'm, I'm trying to get through the Crown at the moment, so that's why I'm also not watching oh, yeah. a Celebrity.
1: I've heard it's it's not as good as the previous series. No,
0: it's not. The Queen isn't as convincing. Mm. I think it's all a bit too real now because you remember it, whereas actually it felt like I'm sure it was a very top line history lesson. And uh, anybody who is uh, more of a of all this will say, you know, it's a dramatized version of it all. But now, like it's all '90s, which I can remember, and you're going, mm. "Was it really like that?" I'm not quite sure.
1: And given events, Johnny a Johnny Lee
0: Miller true. is John Major. He's just. Okay. Johnny D. Miller's too good looking to be John Major and the Irish guy is too good looking to be Prince Charles.
1: It's a bit like watching the Titanic as well. You kind of know, ultimately, <laughs> the thing is gone south. What's,
0: what's, yeah. what's going to happen? Anyways, there's right. the TV review of the weekend. Um, Amber, what do you got for in us? In the
1: Amber, I've got Irish rugby. Sort of before Ronaldo uh, did, did last night, I think I did slightly in the green, which might have been a bit controversial, but it was at the uh, I went to the Aviva on uh, Saturday afternoon, Nathan, and um, I'm not as a downbeat as maybe some of the report uh, reports have been on the Irish rugby team um, after the weekend. Like It's a bit of a hiding to nothing in a lot of ways. And those games typically tended to, tended to have been, I've been at some of those November internationals, uh, against Fiji before. And um, yeah, you're on a bit of a hiding to nothing. Like Unless you go out and beat them by about 50 points, everybody's um, sort of moaning about it. And obviously the game <laughs> didn't get off to the most amazing start. Um, but um, yeah, I think that obviously everything at the minute is in the context of who's going to make uh, the plan for the World Cup. That's dominating everything. And I do think that actually the A loss to the All Blacks 15s a few weeks ago is going to be referenced for the next year or so. This game might slightly come in under the radar a little bit, but I do think that that was almost a bit of a sliding doors moment for a whole pile of players that aren't realistically now. I think there might be seven games left before the World Cup starts. Some of them are obviously frontline Six Nations matches, which... You know, I think a bunch of those players are just not going to get their chance uh, to put their hand up. You know, the likes of Gavin Coombs who got ditched out. The back row is really interesting. Um as a, a jumping off point given uh, the competitive nature of it but I think if you look at the likes of Gavin Coombs who got ditched out even from the larger squad uh, post that A loss to the uh, New Zealand 15 uh, went back to Munster like it obviously a very good game um, for them in the win over um, South Africa A eh? but yeah I think his, his chance is probably gone now like he probably you know he'll be a player who will come in probably post the World Cup at some point certainly wouldn't think his Ireland career is done but in terms of World Cup so you have the likes of that the sliding doors aspect of it and then you have Nick Timoney who uh, gets his shot against Fiji, is retained in the squad, also one of those players who played in that uh, loss to the All Blacks A, and um, yeah, I just think given the strength across the back row, there wouldn't have been a huge amount of people who would have given somebody like Nick Timoney a shot at making the World Cup squad, but suddenly he's starting to really play his way into, uh, into form, you assume he's playing his way into Paul O'Connell's thoughts and Andy Farrell's thoughts, uh, gets a couple of tries, um, and you look at the likes of Kieran Treadwell, for example, um, did well, most likely to miss that uh, New Zealand game. Um, He was a sub against South Africa last weekend, got 50 minutes under his belt on Saturday, nearly had a try to his name. Again, another one of these players that, like, I'm sort of making the case here that people have left uh, the Aviva, it seems like by and large, with the idea that this was... um, Forgettable. Forgettable. Look at it, certainly in terms of the game, I'm not going to make that case. It was... Uh, drab. I think the referee probably didn't help it. I'm not going to go full Razzie on him. It didn't probably didn't help it. It was very stop-start. Um, there was a, it was air strewn as well, so not entirely uh, his fault. But I do think that uh, the likes of and Treadwell, for example, like there is a bit of a bubbling under of um, of players who suddenly become live options. The one area, of course, that is the constant point of conversation that we still don't know exactly where we're at on is 10.
0: Well, this is basically a referendum on Joey Carberry. And you look at that starting team in the back line, like, it doesn't take a huge amount to happen for that to be an Irish back line in a Six Nations game or a World Cup where he's starting alongside Jameson Gibson-Park, Mac Hanson and Robert Balakun are on the wings. He's got Robbie Henshaw and Stuart McCluskey in the centre. Alright, you'd expect that Jimmy O'Brien won't be starting these games, but he has a lot of quality outside him and experience. Yeah. Did he did he pass?
1: Oh did he pass the ball? did he, did he pass? I mean he did. He did. But I, look number one thing to say, I think, about the ten position is that the benchmark for what we for the level we expect the ten to get to is too high. At the minute, he's probably, Johnny Sexton's probably the best number 10 in the world and like getting better with age. It's incredible. Like the idea that he's going to retire in 12 months time, look at maybe at that point his powers are beginning to wane and, uh, you know, everybody's sort of satisfied that it's all done and dusted and away he goes. But he's playing at the peak of his powers and it's an unfair benchmark. You're, the reason that Johnny Sexton is the the uh, you know top choice for Ireland is that he's by far and away the best number ten. You would just like the gap. He's Sexton is like a nine or a ten out of ten almost every game he plays, and then the rest are about they sort of waver between a six out of ten or an eight out of ten depending. And the, any of them can sort of swap into that position with Joey Carberry specifically. Um, it's just never felt as if he's come in and grabbed the position by the scruff of the neck, and put his stamp on it and said, that's it, I'm here, I'm going to go ahead. I'm Look at it again, he obviously, um, his game ended a bit prematurely the last day, but certainly in the minutes he had, it just wasn't what you want from a player against that level of opposition to be able to dictate the game. He's very good out of, out of hand, obviously, with um, uh, from the boot out of hand, he's very good place kicking, all that sort of stuff is very good, but it's always in that 6-8 to eight out of 10 range, and you just kind of want... You know, And you look at the players that are stacking up behind him, Nathan, as well. You've got, obviously, Frawley looks to be possibly pushing in for that number three position now. Uh, Crowley, potentially, from what we saw last week. Uh, we're not going to see enough of Harry Byrne, I don't think, before the World Cup. Ross Byrne seems to be out of favour. Carty, the same. Ben Healy was incredible for Munster last weekend um, in Cork, but he's not really in the mix. So you have a bunch of players there who roughly, I think, give or take, you could sort of swap any of them in. Uh, for sex at any given point but we're all in on the Carberry train and so it Carberry's
0: seems... spending more time looking behind him than looking in front of him
1: um, yeah probably but he also doesn't seem by personality that he is that type of personality that's going to go in he seems like a quiet enough sort of chap even around the pitch it doesn't seem like he's he's barking at. and it's hard like he's stepping onto the pitch there and he's like you know straight away he must be thinking okay look I know you're used to having the best you know, ten in the world stood in this position, and he's barking at you. And he's giving order, and he's got ten years' experience behind him. And Carberry doesn't have any of that. Like he needs what Carberry needs, or needed, I should say. It is six
0: years out, in Chicago.
1: Well, he needed. It's a great point, Sexton, to have got injured at some point for a prolonged period of time to get the games that he was going to get, because no Ireland coach was going to go. We've got this guy over here, and he's amazing, and we're just going to take him out for a long period of time to give the next guy some game time. And the thing that we're still unsure about is if he had got a run of 6 or 7 or 8 games Carberry at that full test level against full test teams would he have stood up we're still not sure about that and that's a slightly dangerous position to be in um, Yeah, heading into a World Cup two other points could I have time to make two other points about the Viva on Saturday go on um, sorry it's one point sure. but uh, two points out of it I think I've solved the people going for pints and everybody getting pissed off about it okay. situation, which uh, I was in again on Saturday, and I'd sort of wavered, right, my starting position was, I don't mind, if you need to go for a pint, you need to go for a pint, you need to go for a piss, do it, that's fine, you've paid your money in, that's grand. I'd gone from that to, been to uh, the leinster Munster game with my uh, two kids, and being just sort of annoyed by the amount of people getting in and out, and how distracting it was, um, and now I think I've solved it. I think the first thing is that you even need to introduce seat service. Bring the pints to the people.
0: Happens in a lot of stadiums now.
1: Happens in almost all American sport. Like, it's a slight bit of an inconvenience. You have somebody going around, they're dishing out pints. It reduces all the queues. It's not going to fully do away with, like, you can't really have the chip vendors out. Or the Guinness... I don't think you can really serve Guinness in that way. I think the Guinness drinkers will be like, no thanks. I'll go up to the bar and get her out of, get her from the full draft.
0: I think you're you're getting that balance between handiness and it been thirty seconds. Too long yeah. sitting there. I, I I think if you go to those
1: matches, anyway, it's quite often they just fill again the and they leave it sitting there and they hand it to you straight away. I'm not saying it's the greatest point in the world, but I am saying that I think that you'll have a lot of snobs okay. that, like yourself who'd be like this and I don't want to be seen to be drinking this it's thing. Or, they bring
0: or, you a glass of wine. I'm happy. Or,
1: exactly. So I think that seat service um, okay. is the first point, and the other point about that is that the person is going to have enough cap on, so they'll be trained enough to know that they can duck and dive and get their way out. And that leads me to the second point: if you are going in and out to get your points your points, have some cap on. So there was a few people, and this is fairly typical, stood in front of us and they were going in to get a pint. And it wasn't like, you know, so the 10 minutes go to half time and you're sort of ducking out from the people and you're sort of excusing yourself and you're getting in and out as quick as you can. What was happening was they were stood up. Leave you have a pint? Do you have a pint? you OK? Do you have a pint? Five pints? OK, great. And they come back with the five pints and the five of them will stand up in front of the row behind them and start dishing out the pints. Get in, get your pints, get sat down. I mean, I know I'm going full razzie on this. Get sat down as soon as you can. And have some respect for the people around you. They're the two things that I think would solve this thing. So they can keep the bars open, keep the money flowing, keep the people who want a pint having a pint. Just get seat service and punters have some cop on.
0: Fair I enough. won't lie, I was expecting a little bit more innovation with that. So your your two plans are just copy what they do in pretty much every other stadium no. in the world and don't be an asshole.
1: That's pretty much it. Don't be a dickhead. No dickheads rule for the fans going into the Aviva. Um, Good morning to all
0: the children on their way to school this morning. Great to see you guys. Hope you have a lovely day. World Cup start next week. Hopefully, the teachers let you out, watch, some the teachers will, uh, <laughs> watch some of it. Hopefully, teachers will let you watch some of it, is what we want for all of you. Uh, yeah, that is the. First, you're right on the second part. It's almost become part of the show for people is, oh, look, I'm going and I'm going to bring back eight pints. Hey, everybody's. It's like, no, we don't care that you're buying pints for you and all your mates. Just sit down, shut up, and watch the game.
1: And also, like, know when to do it. So if you're, if you're about to. Walk back out of the doors, back down to your seat. Wait until there's a break and play. Like, don't be coming down when there's start of Ireland pump pumping the try line. Hold off. That all fits into the, don't be a whatever you're having yourself.
0: Let's get to the green.
1: Into the green, and I've put so. Ars- uh, in the green here, Nathan, I mean, it's a broader conversation about um, where the Premier League is at at the minute, but basically all the other, it's basically in the green, Arsenal leading the way for all the other seven or eight teams in the Premier League who have a shot at either winning the title now, and I think that's realistically a conversation, or definitely making it into the Champions League, and it follows obviously Man City's... Um, loss at home to Brentford on Saturday. So it means that Arsenal are five points clear at the top of the Premier League. They had a 2-0 win um, at Wolves and it makes incredible reading, I think, for Arsenal fans uh, this morning. They're going to be top of the league for Christmas. I mean, if, unless the bottom totally falls out of it. For, no, they will be. They will no, be there's no league. more games. There's no, there's no more Steve's games. Today, thinking, That's the joke. They're <laughs> <I'm thinking laughs> top of Christmas and it's still six weeks till Christmas. OK, they will be top of the league for um, for Christmas and they'll be, they're five points clear and they have West Ham, I think, on... Uh, Stephen night and that'll be a London derby and we'll the, the only slight sort of fly in the ointment for Arsenal is and maybe for the rest of them is that the break has come at the wrong time like you know it's momentum is with them uh, they're they're seemingly un, unbeatable obviously playing really well they've you know Odegaard bangs in a couple of footmen again at the weekend um, and it's just a really positive good news story and you would like look, at it. it's Man City, right? And does it take them very long to bounce back from thing? Does it really matter if they were playing again tonight or at the weekend or during the week? They'd probably go out and hammer whoever the hell they were playing anyway. But I do think that any hope that fans have of City not winning the Premier League, no matter what club you're supporting, I do think you would want to see, you'd want to test that out. You'd want to see them out on a Wednesday night or next Saturday.
0: I think teams are looking at Manchester City more this season as a team that they can test and that they can get at and that they can attack. And Brentford fully deserved to win that game. They had three chances before they even opened the scoring. Uh, You know They went route one quite a bit and City's defence seemed to struggle with that. And with the exception of Erling Haaland, a lot of these City players aren't at their best. Like João Cancelo isn't having anywhere near the impact on games that he had over the last couple of seasons. Uh, Akanji's come in. At the back and has done well, but it does feel it's a bit away from Diaz and Laporte at their absolute peak. Uh, a lot of these players may well have the World Cup on their mind, like with the exception of the Manchester derby, which was one of the great Premier League performances. Phil Foden scored a very good goal at the weekend, but even Guardiola admitted he's been quite greedy again. With the exception of that game, hasn't quite stepped forward, so I'm not fully convinced that city or all that and we will get to close to 100 points this season so I think there is an opportunity there for Arsenal and I've been on the Arsenal bandwagon for quite a while I thought people were way over the top in their criticism in the one game they lost this season against Manchester United where they made a couple of mistakes at the back but by and large for an hour of that game uh, they were the better team and Granachaka goes off injured very early or sick or something very early in that game on Saturday night. Uh, Fabio Vieira comes in and is brilliant. Like the three players be playing behind Gabriel Jesus, one of them always steps up every single day, whether it's Martinelli, Odegaard at the weekend, Saka. Uh, Jesus isn't scoring, but the amount of tackles he won inside his own half to set them away on counter attacks, he's offering something very different to that team. They're not making many mistakes at the back, they've got a good goalkeeper. Maybe they go and they sign somebody in January and they add a little bit more depth. But right now with a five-point lead, it does feel as though Arsenal are going to be there till the bitter end with this. Who knows what happens post-World Cup?
1: Well, they're like, going to sign Ronaldo, as Piers Morgan says. <laughs>
0: like, I, I do wonder the mentality of players if they come back. And we don't know what's going to happen over the next month. But like, if Saka was to miss a penalty again in a World Cup final, like, does he come back and is he absolutely devastated? And that disrupts Arsenal's season? Or... If England lose in the final, is Phil Foden distraught? Or if they win, then they come back and they're too cocky and they're celebrating for the next three months and they're not that worried about Manchester City because they've literally achieved anything greater with England than they'll ever achieve at Manchester City. And there's obviously uh, you know, 50 players with that sort of mindset, whether it's the Brazilian lads or the Argentinian players. Or does any of that matter? And will they all just come back and since even say, it's like the World Cup never happened?
1: Yeah, i look at who knows because the flip of that could easily. Be, I mean, I don't think England are going to win the World Cup. Um, great news flash there, and I also think City are going to still win the Premier League. It sounds like I you're
0: think like, City. Um, I, know, I think City are, good, are like, still favourites, but I. You would we, think you would we've got into every season with what's happened with Liverpool and Manchester City going. You probably need ninety three, ninety four points minimum to have a chance of winning the title. I don't know if that's the case this season. And Arsenal are well on course mm. for that sort of tally. Like They've only dropped points in two games all season. They've won 12 of 14 matches. So they're setting a real pace right now. And I, I, quite often when you look at the best teams in the league, teams sit very, very deep and they try and hold out for a scoreless draw. And against City, that's almost impossible because there are so many talented attacking players that are always going to score. Whereas a lot of the... Mid-ranking teams now, watching this season, feels as though they're willing to have a goal at Manchester City and accept that they might concede, but they're trying to score. And City's defence isn't as strong as it was with Kyle Walker out injured as well. Uh, There's definitely an opportunity, I think, for teams to get at them. So I, I I just don't feel it'll be as straightforward. And even the amount of points they're dropping, I see people writing today, like, are Liverpool fully out of it? I just don't think, I, I think they're not, except you couldn't trust Liverpool to go on the sort of run they've gone in previous seasons where they win... Twelve games or fourteen games in a row. There's just nothing to suggest that's mm. going to happen. But I think City are going to drop a lot more points. The other thing is Arsenal and City have to play each other twice uh, in the second half of the season because their game was postponed uh, earlier this year. Like Arsenal's fixture list, you touch like it's it's a difficult fixture list when they come back. Uh, West Ham and Steven's Day. Then they go to Brighton, then Newcastle, Tottenham, Manchester United.
1: Mm. Three game run. for for of games. Yeah, and I mean, like, I don't know, look, from a City point of view, it's obviously a lot of this is based off one game, is a thing. And even at that, they're obviously pushing for the winner against Brentford, and they get caught in the, a brilliant counter attack. Absolutely. Who's that player that broke down the left hand side? Brilliant. A bit, uh... Brilliant break at pace, catches them totally on the hop. Even for all that, City's back four gets set. Get perfectly set, and uh, Brentford still managed to score, which was a slightly surprise. It was only on the replay, when I looked at the bag four, I realised that one of the centre-backs was Erling Haaland, um, mm. which is probably, I mean, a great sort of uh, indictment of him as a player and his ability to get back, although he seems to have been... He, got injured somehow, did he, between like full-time in that game and then not being able to come over here. Again,
0: for the kids listening in the car who are looking forward to going to Lansdowne Road on Thursday night <laughs> to see Erling Haaland. He might still be there. That's bad news for you, kids. Yeah. Uh, the RTE promo for that, uh, they went all... I don't know if you saw this over the weekend. Yeah. They're obviously going to have to change it, which was basically, Ireland are taking on... Erling Haaland. And some other guys. Yeah. It's like, if I'm Martin Odegaard, I'm thinking yeah I'm, I'm kind of better than anybody in your team, maybe show me a little bit of respect, yeah, uh, yeah the thing with city is it's not just one game because the match before that they need a ninety fifth minute penalty at home against Fulham to win that game, mm. like the Leicester game was a very tight match a couple of weeks before that, Liverpool beat them, so the break is probably coming at a good time for Manchester City. Mm.
1: Right. Top of the performance rankings this morning, uh, Nathan, are the FAI Cup winners, Derry City. And congratulations to everybody involved in Derry. Obviously a big win for them over the weekend in every regard. It's uh, um, a match that has tended to be have really high on drama over the last 10-12 years and even beyond that extra time penalties really tight scorelines um, but this was a very disappointing finish to the season obviously for um, for Shelburne but for Derry uh, certainly obviously came up a small bit short in the league uh, didn't finish the last few games strongly and maybe that was one of the biggest question marks heading into the game yesterday that they was at one point from nine over the last few weeks at a point where they needed to keep the pressure um, obviously on at the top but there is 25 points Uh, between Derry and Shelburne in the league, and that was abundantly clear um, in the game yesterday. It's the biggest ever FAI Cup uh, final winning margin, Um, and as I said, a competition with such a reputation for tight games. um, And they conceded within the first 20 minutes, and that was I sort of always meant, I think from the way that Shelburne would have approached the game, uh, knowing that Derry City were going to control the ball, chances were going to be few, they needed to keep it tight at the back, that I think conceding that early... um, was ultimately the uh, death knell for that Shelburne team. And like Damien Duff, obviously, is a big part of the storyline around this. It was so interesting to see. And it wasn't the first time that you've heard Damien Duff talk about so passionately about his involvement with uh, Shells. And what it means to him. Like for a player who's achieved what he's achieved in his career, he's still talking about like, um, you know, what 10 foot tall walking into the Aviva. It was like the most important game in his career. I think you might have, might have said or something along those lines. Uh, he said afterwards, I'll be at the FA, FAI Cup final out till the day I die, whether that's on the touchline or not. Um, there's obviously a talk of a takeover at Shelburne and be really interesting to see if there is a takeover and he's able to bring in some quality because, you know, he doesn't, he speaks about, he speaks really respectfully about the players that he has, but you still understand that they're, it's a young squad and they're not to the level that he'd like to be working with. So it'll be interesting to see if he does get the pieces of the jigsaw that he's actually happy with. What type of manager he is, but it must have been very—it um, was very clearly very disappointing.
0: Oh uh, they were huge. Didn't have a single shot on target in the entire game, and he mentioned that after match that the players have to go in and look at themselves in the mirror now after this and realize that they turned up in cup final day and they didn't perform. And that's a difficult thing for any sports person and for pretty much to be across the team. Now, Derry were very good. It sort of fitted in with a lot of the predictions that if Derry got the first goal, they could run a riot. And they did. And for them now, it is look it up because while there was 13 points between themselves and Shamrock Rovers, it could have been very, very different. They just drew way too many games, particularly at home uh, over the course of the season. There wasn't that big a gap. And like, they have an owner with a lot of money to invest. Uh, they have some good young players have got a lot of experience like they brought brilliantly in getting Michael Duffy uh, up and getting Patrick McElhenney up like two of the best players in the league and we don't really know what's going to happen with Shamrock Rovers and what players they're going to bring in so it's going to be a fascinating transfer window to see if Derry can close that gap further and you feel they will that it's going to be between these two next season Andy Lyons is leaving Shamrock Rovers will Neil Ferrugia still be there they've got a a lot of players in their late 20s early 30s uh, so first cup final in what a decade for Derry to have won the league for over a quarter of a century so yeah it's uh, it's good for the league if there's two teams competing and it does feel as though Derry are going to be in this for the long haul like for Rory Higgins first season in charge uh, big big achievement you know it's Commentating on a game yesterday with me, Perth, and Roy Higgins was uh, his assistant. And then he went off with Ireland, and he could have probably stayed in that nice gig with Stephen Kenny for another while, uh, but wanted his hometown job and all the pressure that came with that. And he's done brilliantly.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, even from uh, same with Duff, obviously two uh, managers in their first year, <clears throat> it's incredible in some ways that it's still uh, Duff's uh, first year. He said, um, he said, I know uh, he was talking about, like, the, you know, the way you just sort of there are a lot there are a lot of players who've achieved what he's achieved in his career will come into that job and try to trade off <coughs> that as their uh that's their currency. Whereas actually he's totally obsessed by this thing. It's incredible. He said, I know Derry City better than I know my wife and my kids. He's so um obsessive about it and ambitious. I want to build Rome in a day, he said afterwards. Like it's just um it's really impressive to watch him must we'll say, and he's very clearly committed to it, like to the point where you could see him managing Shelburne for the next ten years. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the players come in that actually end up ending uh, Damien Duff's career with Shelburne in terms of he gets a thirst for uh, management and ends up getting you know hauled off somewhere else, and he'll be in tears as he, as he leaves Shelburne. Who knows what happens? But certainly, listening to him now, I don't know. If he, um, down on Shelburne fans this morning, kicking them while they're down, um, but uh, you do feel as if he's, uh, he's got management in his blood and it's going to be for a while. We should mention as well, obviously, there was trouble in the stands yesterday, it was um, flares thrown onto the pitch, and then Shelburne fans seem to be fighting each other. Uh, it was a slightly bizarre scenario that happened at one of the ends, and um, I'm sure we haven't heard the end of it, but uh, ugly enough scenes, it must be said, you don't like to see it. Particularly on a, a day like that, where it was one of the biggest ever attendances at an FAI, FAI Cup final. Disappointing uh, to see, but great day for Derry City.
0: London turned up at a hurl, though.
1: No, that is true. That is true. That is something we will touch on a little bit later, yeah.
0: We'll, we'll come back uh, to that, what happened to Parnell Park as well. Good job, Adrian. Well done. Debut, thank you. OTB AM with
1: Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent moe.